Welcome back to the True Folk Podcast, Episode 8. My name is Matt, and this week we're talking to Ithaca-based community organizer, filmmaker, and music producer Chris Knight about his experimental electronic music project, Robot Detective. We also discuss his work as a community organizer booking shows for Ithaca Underground and putting together the Dark DIY Festival in New York City. A lot of what Chris has to say really nails down the core of what DIY culture can represent within a community. If you're looking for tips to organize your local creative community, then this is the episode for you. Please enjoy this conversation with Robot Detective. What is your setup like? Is it a Euro rack? Like what kind of synths are you collecting? I collect a lot of different synths, but I've recently gotten into Euro rack modular synths. In that format, there's a lot of different things you can do, but I'm really interested in these digital wavetable synthesizers and these different synth modeling complex oscillators. I really like FM glitchy, like percussion sounds. And I also like a lot of these like vintage digital reverb units that came out in the 90s that have like a really kind of distorted metallic sound to them. So I basically like combine like a lot of those kinds of elements to make music that goes between hard techno, like 4-4 house stuff into like glitchier polyrhythmic techno music and ambient harsh noise, ethereal soundscapes and just blend all that stuff together. What was your first taste of like this kind of experimental modular kind of music making? When I was younger, I was really into some of the ambient noise musicians, Tim Hecker, and uh, also like kind of into like the desynchronous tape loop work of Brian Eno. I thought that was really inspiring. And so I was making kind of weird desynchronous looping in Ableton, doing noise music with that for a while. Then a couple of years ago, I was living with this guy who was a little bit older than me, and he was kind of this like 90s like raver guy had like a lot of nostalgia for some of these old synths and drum machines and his like fascination with that kind of old school material like kind of resonated with me. I always really liked Aphex Twin and like just that whole like era of experimentation with techno when it was kind of first, you know, gaining, you know, fascination for like the weird stuff that you can do with with synthesis and putting that into dance music. And yeah, I kind of just picked up some some make noise synths at the beginning and that kind of got me hooked from there. Yeah, and so you were in Ableton for a little bit. So once you jumped out of the box, you got the make noise stuff. Well, like what were your first like, I gotta have these modules when you started putting the rack together? I wanted to be able to have a system that I could perform techno with. I didn't want it to like sit in the studio and be like just a wall of stuff that nobody ever gets to see. So I, I, I've always been going to shows my whole life and just like, I don't know, performing is kind of fun. When I started the Robot Detective, I was making a lot of beats in Ableton and then I wanted like synths and reverb to kind of complement that. And then eventually I kind of, I got enough sequencing, I got enough lead stuff that that was pretty fun. And then eventually I, I got more into like Eurorack percussion stuff. And so the, eventually I really have tried to eliminate the computer from my live work. Just it's, I think it's more tactile and like yeah. fun to do stuff with all hardware. And I think people think it's interesting. That's something like I'll be messing around in Reason. And in Reason, it has the rack in it, which is it's pictures of you know, real life gear, but I always feel like, oh, I wish I had a controller. I wish I could touch it. So a lot of people are starting to catch that tactile bug, like wanting to touch the instruments or the modules and like having a, I don't know, like a real experience making music with real hardware and real equipment. When you were putting your rig together, was it you had the live performance in mind from the beginning? Was was that it was designed around that? 
the brig has pretty much been designed for performance from the beginning, just to be able to have something that can generate sequences on the fly, generate new patterns on the fly, generate new rhythms, all while being synced together, um, having like synced delays that are good for like grooves, having like a wide palette of synthesis available for percussion that I can easily navigate between a lot of different timbres and, and patterns to be able to improvise on the fly with the instrument, which I thought was something that you couldn't really do with Ableton or like, you know, you could do it in, in Max and Ableton like to an extent, but it's like a, it, it's a different type of game, I guess. And so I guess with this, it's fun. I can just have the patch kind of set and turn it on every time I want to make some music and it always churns out something weird and fun. Is your workflow like all improvised or is it like a hybrid of both? For performance, it's pretty much all improvised. I don't really do, I don't play back any pre-recorded material really. I have some sample players in my rack that like I weave in and out of the set, but I have like for the past couple of months and for my on my recent tour, I performed the same patch in 10 cities basically. Yeah, but it was a different improvisation within that patch each time. And it, it slowly changed a little bit as I went through the, the tour, but it, the core kind of framework has been pretty consistent. Is it a little bit freeing to like become more mostly improv where you just kind of walk in and do your thing or is it kind of scary like, oh, I have to do this like on the spot? I've gotten to the point where I feel really comfortable performing and improvising. So it's nice to be able to just come in, turn on, start jamming, have a good time and like see that people enjoy it. It's, uh, I feel like I have, I've like developed like a certain trust in like my setup and in my workflow that like, I feel like I can cover like different, you know, enough different territory easily. I feel like there's a lot of control. So it's, it's a fun kind of way to work. I imagine like working with a setup like this, like with guitar music or just like a more conventional music, like you have instruments, then you maybe practice scales and you practice chords. And so you get a familiarity with the instrument that way. But with this, it's like you have to learn the the parameters and controls and like the overall functionality. And that's like the scales and the chords are comparative to like the guitar. So it's like practicing, just like sitting down with it and practicing. It's like that's practicing your instrument. Yeah. So for practicing with the modular, it's, I'll, I'll like kind of be thinking of weird patch ideas in my head. I'm like, what if I made some epic noise drone by plugging these LFOs into these things? Like, uh, and then like weave that in with this other thing. Or like, what if I modulated this parameter with this thing and you know, try to think of interesting ways to do the feedback loop of control voltages, that kind of thing. So it's really, it's a lot of experimenting and kind of discovering like worlds within your setup and kind of learning about how do your different components respond to different types of inputs. And then you can really get a feel for like, what sound pellets can I achieve with what types of techniques and what are my gaps? What am I like missing? What should I kind of go for next? Also like what doesn't sound good? Cause like you can make a lot of, you can use modular to make like a weird, a lot of really crappy, like farty synth sounds. Um, <laughs> that can be like a fun genre for a little bit, but yeah. <laughs> in, in terms of sound design, like, and especially compared to when maybe you first started, like with sound design, if you conceptualize a sound or just like something you want to make, do you, can you get in there and like make that from inside your head out to the, the modules, or is it kind of like discovering the sounds from interacting with it? For my process, it's a lot about discovering the sounds and interacting with them. The the wavetable synths that I have have a really complex 
landscape of sound within them. And so it's hard to really like predict exactly what they're going to do. After a while of like learning, you can, you can kind of start to get a feel of what the different models do and how they respond to CV. And then there's another kind of, there's a more like traditional form of synthesis where like you're taking like raw sine wave and, and shaping it with modules the whole way through. And I don't really have like a lot of that capability in my rack actually. I'm really more into like the complex wavetable oscillators. Whether it's performing or the music you put out, if someone listens to your music, what is the desired effect? I guess uh, the kind of feel that I try to like bring out in a lot of my music and in a lot of the performance is kind of this building and then this release of tension and to try to get people to like come in like this wave with me. So kind of developing like a lot of rhythmic complexity, building a lot of tension and creating like a lot of density in the mix and then kind of letting that drain out and then make the kind of the beats drop in and it becomes very punchy and like loud and, and harsh and you know, get people amped up that way. I like it when people dance, yeah. it's fun, but you know, it's not everybody wants to dance at every gig. So like also people like just like stand and listen and like really like, yo, that's cool. That's, that's fun too. Whatever makes you happy, I guess. Yeah. Some material is like really harsh and like aggressive. And so you can like take that for what it's worth. And then other stuff is more ambient, but I, I kind of like going between both of those areas. Maybe some of our listeners aren't necessarily, you know, indoctrinated into this experimental electronic world to give them a nice point of entry. You could even, you know, recommend a couple entry points, someone who's influenced you, or like if you could curate like a mini festival that you could headline, who would you throw on the bill? I do curate festivals that I throw people on the bill, so, yeah, so but that's should. different. <laughs> uh, I mean... Yeah, I guess, I don't know, like, the, there's music that, like, inspired me to, like, make the music that I have now, and then there are artists who inspire me, like, currently. I guess, like, right now I'm really fascinated with all of the different people of color who are making fantastic experimental music all over the world. And a lot of it just isn't really recognized or really given credit. It's if you're like a black experimental musician who's making some weird stuff, it's like actually pretty hard to get yourself booked because people don't know what the fuck you're doing. So when I think of the musicians who like really inspire me, I think of More Mother, who um, is a rapper from Philly, who does really aggressive and important work. <laughs> um, they're just really inspiring. I highly recommend More Mother. Really recommend Samus, who's been a really great friend and mentor to me, just as a musician, as somebody who cares about building the scene and like what black music should represent to people. There are some other people, like the work of D'Antoni Parks is really, really interesting. Just that kind of avant-garde drumming mixed with electronics. I think that's really cool. Onyx Ashanti is doing work with motion sensors and like accelerometers that are controlling max patches and like different
different synthesis. And he's like able to basically like turn his body into a cybernetic like instrument with the sensors that he's building. And he has all these great Facebook videos of himself like geared up with all these sensors. He looks like a cyborg. He like walks around with it. He's like always like redesigning his sensors in his workshop and stuff. He's getting ready for something big, like, um, but he's really cool. That's awesome. Even just that sounds like a pretty good. Festival. Yeah, I mean, that's that's cool. Like, and then I mean, there are tons of just amazing people. So I started this DIY festival called Dark DIY. We're going to have the first one in New York City this year, actually, on the 25th, August 25th, 2018, same day as Afropunk Brooklyn. We're basically doing a DIY festival that like centers experimental and like hard music. Mm -hmm from black and brown people, from Brooklyn natives. Mm -hmm. We're hosting it at a black art collective called Color Scenes in Brooklyn. And uh, there are uh, a lot of really interesting musicians on that bill. Um, Blacker Face is a like neo-soul punk math rock band from Chicago. We've got a hardcore punk band from Richmond, B-L-V-C-K-P-U-N-X. <laughs> Black punks. Uh, we have Tavishi, who is a drone uh, noise performer who mixes a lot of Indian instrumentation into her work and uh, Indian music theory. And she's like a cancer researcher by profession, okay. I'm pretty sure. And is also like a renowned noise musician. She has an interesting story. The local group Monsters of Brooklyn is going to be there. They're like a young group that's hosted at Color Scenes. Escuela will be there. Mannequin Eater from Philly. Uh, Mannequin Eater and Wrists, they're both extreme hip hop performers. They're really good friends. Yeah, there's there's so there's a lot of cool people who are going to be at that event so yeah. i'm really stoked for that so pretty much like that's the answer to the question is that festival yeah i mean definitely check out that festival like it's going to be pretty cool i think with that festival we're trying to touch an area of music that black and brown people are making that actually afropunk isn't actually representing because they they're like doing a really great job of like creating an inclusive space for like women and like centering like really great hip hop performers, really great R&B singers, a lot of great DJs, and they throw a good party, but it's not so much punk yeah. anymore. Yeah. And like, what is black punk anyway? Like black punk is not like just straight, like hardcore punk bands, but it, to me, it's like a really wide field of just extreme music that different people are making and it represents their struggles. And so it, it comes out in this type of extreme music. So does independent culture, as far as music is concerned, feel like it's becoming a little bit less homogenous? Because maybe in the early mid 2000s, it was so dominated by like four piece guitar rock bands. Does it feel like it's spreading out a little bit? So I, I feel like just across kind of all forms of electronic music, you're talking like noise, techno, hip hop. I think that whole landscape has become really democratized in the past like 50 years or so. You know, electronic music was started by these old white guys with their modular synths. And, you know, they, they were people who shelled out thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for these boutique like Moog systems, Buchla. And now, you know, you can get a micro Korg and FL Studio and you can produce top 40 hits. I think really like that's like really leveled the playing field of like access to the technology that you would need to like make some really cool tracks. And so to me, I feel like there's just a, there's a lot of undiscovered talent and there's a lot of unrealized talent that like is going to start simmering up. And I think a lot of people want to make music. A lot of people want to start performing and they need a community to be able to do that. They need 
support to be able to succeed as a musician and be able to kind of reach their creative potential uh, in like just my work is like a, somebody who like books and works for an organization that puts on shows. I kind of keep that in mind that like, to me, like booking bands isn't about really uh, trying to raise the platform of like any one specific artist over like another one, but it's really just kind of for me about like community building and like building a community around music and art to like, get people interested in it and to make that like a normal thing that like, okay, yes, we're gonna like get together experience some art together it's going to be a fun event it's going to be a community thing and people will have something to talk about after that's what diy culture like is but i feel i feel like diy ethos diy culture has been like kind of an exclusively accessible thing i think and so like you just you need more community organizers from different backgrounds to be able to like actually put diy into practice in different communities and do you think that now is the best time for that kind of access and that kind of community to spring up just in the in human history because the tech and the gear is becoming so accessible? Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I guess I just feel like now is the only time to do it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the time that you have. So music is beautiful. So you just need to make it now and share with people like with what we have. Um, I mean, so it's it's easy to like get your to like make a project, make a record and like put it out, but there's, you know, of course, a lot of competition. So I feel like succeeding in that world is something that's kind of like assigned by like random chance. Like if you can succeed, you can kind of buy your way to the top, but it's pretty obvious when you do that. So, you know, certain people definitely have like privilege and access to like ways to ascend in the entertainment industry. That's fine. But I think to build a community around music that doesn't really cost you much, it just like costs some time, but it's like, it's worth it. So you, I think you should, you should just do it. And you're, you're super involved in Ithaca Underground. Are you, are you on the board? Yeah, I'm on the board of Ithaca Underground. Yeah. Okay. And, and maybe for some listeners who aren't familiar with the organization, uh, just a quick background on your involvement and what the organization represents. Ithaca Underground is an arts and event planning organization that puts on 50 all ages shows every year. Uh, we cover a lot of genres from punk to electronic music, hip hop, uh, indie rock, noise, pretty much anything that's kind of subversive or cool. Yeah, so we're, we're all volunteer run and basically, yeah, we try to just book really interesting events and bring lots of interesting artists through and also create like a space for local artists to feel comfortable performing their new work and get people feeling like performing and that like being engaged in music is something valuable. A lot of people would kill to have this kind of community engagement, this kind of involvement, this kind of diversity in their community. Like Ithaca Underground is pretty singular and it's pretty, like even downstate, it's pretty well known for what it achieves. Why does it work so well? Why, why does it work here? I don't know. I mean, I think, a lot of, I think a lot of Ithaca Underground's success can really be attributed to Bubba Crumrine, who spent a lot of time developing the organization. And so really what it took was somebody who cared enough to sacrifice a lot of their personal time to book shows and give, you know, new artists a place to perform. And he did a lot of work to make that happen. So I think in order for people to start these communities, it need, you just need people to do it and commit to it and not kind of hold back I think like that kind of tenacity of, of just 
wanting to book really good shows and doing it kind of wherever you can and just getting the word out and starting to get people to commune. It's, it's, I think it's harder in, you know, Ithaca's a small town, so there's not a lot of stuff going on really. And when they started Ithaca Underground, there wasn't really much subversive punk stuff going on. There were like, there's a small house show scene. I wasn't really like involved in the scene in those years. So I guess in like a bigger town where, or like a bigger city where there's like a lot more competition, I think it's hard to get people out to shows. People who I know who live in Philly, they're always saying like, nobody comes out to shows in Philly anymore. And yeah, because it's oversaturated and everyone's playing every night of the week. So you can see anything you want there, but the people who live there, like, do they actually appreciate it? I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting because in smaller areas, you'll always hear people make excuses like, oh, there's nothing going on. And it's so small. So it's almost like there's no excuse in a smaller area. Like you just dominate the goings on and maybe you'll have something successful. Yeah. And I, I think people just don't, people don't understand how to like actually book DIY shows and, and make them fun. But it, it really just takes a community. It takes a couple Facebook messages to people to book a show. Like full tours for huge bands are just booked by Facebook messages. It's ridiculous. And something we talk about, you know, during features or on the podcast a lot is the connectivity of social media to you know, in 1980, when there wasn't Facebook, you had compartmentalized genres by region because there wasn't a whole lot of connectivity. But now in niche genres or niche subcultures, you can make those connections because of social media and find people like two towns over and make things happen easier now than ever. So it, there's less excuse than ever before. Yeah, I think the connectivity is, is great. I mean, it's definitely like social media has helped a lot of people organize and, and I've been able to meet so many interesting people who are making cool stuff that I probably wouldn't have ever met before. So yeah, it's an interesting time to be able to do that. Now, maybe there's someone out there who the stuff that is generally flung around in indie culture, like, you know, guitar rock or just the normal stuff isn't doing it for them. And maybe they want to get something different and curate a, a new scene in their town. How would they go about doing that? You could maybe start with like trying to do some experimental open mics. If there's a local school with the art or music program, talk to some of the people there. There's usually some like framework for arts organizing in, in some towns. I mean, some towns, I guess, maybe don't have any, any framework at all for arts organizing. So that's one thing. I mean, look, I think definitely getting young people involved, uh, you know, finding, you know, people involved with local like music music education this, uh, other kind of community organizations i think that's the best way to really maybe find some allies who would want to help you there are some really good facebook groups for touring bands the diy tour postings group there's the uh, people of color diy group that um i co-manage with some other people so those are groups like good interesting groups like find out about different artists that might be traveling through your area meet some other people who in the region who are trying to tour. I think the best way is to maybe from wherever you are, try to find those regional allies, those, those bands that are maybe just an hour or so away that want to, you know, get a show out of their town somewhere, find a new audience and start with that stuff and start bringing some like local regional stuff in and then, you know, try to find some openers you can put on it, try to get the ball rolling that way, make some cool posters, make some, some good Facebook events. That's kind of seems to be the way and just keep pushing it. Yeah. And chances are, even if you don't feel like it, maybe there's definitely some people like you who are into the same things as you in your town that you never even knew. So if you start it, then if you build it, they will come. Yeah. It's infectious. 
Yeah. I mean, but certainly, I mean, it's proven to be so in Ithaca. So, but what have you been working on right now? Are you releasing anything anytime soon? I've been thinking about trying to record. I'm, I want to try to collaborate with some more people and like release some different projects about some different things. Yeah. Some different collaborations. Right now I'm focused on the Dark DIY Festival, making sure that all runs well and doing a lot of booking for Ithaca Underground for the fall and winter. With the music, uh, I have some shows lined up. So yeah, I'm doing a fundraiser for the Multicultural Resource Center in Ithaca next week. Okay. And then Dark DIY is the week after that. So it's going to be a pretty hectic August. So I think at some point I'll probably settle down and try to record my kind of new, newer setup. Yeah, it's it's hard to find time to to record, and and so I like I like have to like buckle down and do it, you know. Definitely. Now, if people want to check out what you're doing, keep up with what's going on with all your different activities, where can they go? So you can follow me on Facebook, Robot Detective or name's Chris Knight. I release my material on Bandcamp and Spotify under Robot Detective. And I'll probably have some other like strangely named projects coming out at some point soon. So yeah, be on the lookout for those. Thanks so much to Chris for coming on and sharing your insights with us. We really appreciate it. We also captured an improv performance in his living room. If you haven't checked out that video, it's in the show notes. I highly recommend it. Something else you can find in the show notes is links to all of Chris's music as Robot Detective in addition to every artist and organization mentioned in our conversation. To stay updated on future episodes, you can find us at truefolktv.com slash podcast or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. We're now on iTunes, Stitcher, we're everywhere. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on the True Folk Podcast.